Welcome to The Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMEG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, and today's episode is the first in a series of conversations with IMEG's market leaders. Joining me on this series is Steve Rhodes, IMEG Vice President of Market Development and Federal Solutions. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks, Joe. Our guest today is Brandon Fortier, IMEG's Director of Science and Technology. Brandon, thanks for joining us. And can you tell us a little bit about your role and your experience in the sector? Absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity and for you having me here today, Joe. Um, I am, uh, like you said, I, I lead our science and technology market. Uh, my background is as a mechanical engineer. So I started with IMEG almost 19 years ago, uh, laying out ductwork and piping and uh, kind of working in both the educational and science and technology markets. Uh, and as my career has advanced, I've gone from uh, designing projects to managing projects to, to now working more uh, across our teams uh, in the country, um, developing that work and bringing subject matter expertise. So, Brandon, uh, science and technology um, as a whole is part of many different markets. You mentioned education, there's healthcare, private industry, commercial. What are some of the common themes that touch all those? Yeah, that's a great question, Steve. You're you're absolutely correct. Um, our science and technology market uh, kind of lives in the intersection of a lot of different vertical markets, um, and so we see input and uh, questions from owners in ranging in, in dis- diversity from the federal government to higher education, and a lot of their. Uh, Questions and needs are very specific to their program, but the the continuity between them really gets to uh, environmental conditions, um, sustainability, climate change, and, and decarbonization are, are huge talking points and buzzwords in our industry. Um, things like resiliency, uh, things that you would you hear about in a variety of markets are, are the same ones that uh, science technology clients are are very focused on. And and uh, Brandon, given that. Are there specific challenges that along the resiliency and uh, climate change and decarbonization that uh, that come to play with this science and technology market that don't exist maybe in, in other ways? There, there definitely are. Uh, specifically, um, the, the ways in which science and technology facilities are used, um, not all of them, but the vast majority are 24-7, 365 uh, our operations. Uh, there's researchers working day in and day out, nights, weekends. And so designing facilities that that can never go down uh, certainly brings its own unique set of challenges. Inherent to laboratory design too is the hazards that researchers are working with, whether those are chemical or biological or sometimes even physical, uh, if you're talking about laser labs or linear accelerators or radiological components. And so being able to design those systems uh, oftentimes requires a lot of energy. Um, Once through air systems, redundancy, those types of things offer challenges to decarbonization and electrification uh, just because of the inherent nature of how the facilities need to be designed. So um, those are certainly things we're continuously having conversations with our owners about. So, Brandon, what are uh, some of the biggest opportunities um, for your science and technology clients and what they're facing every day. 
Yeah, I think we're seeing several things in the market. Uh, specifically, we've talked about uh, healthcare and pharmaceutical work. I think personalized medicine, as that has become more prevalent, especially as we've uh, escaped here from the pandemic, the specialization, the niche expertise that's required in those types of facilities um, has definitely been advancing. And, and uh, it's almost like a tree in that every time a new technology is developed, three more uh, kind of can spin off of that. And so we're, we're really seeing a lot of different opportunities with specialization in our market, um, how you treat those facilities, the specifics of the engineering design. There's certain uh, certainly common themes between those and, and other types of opportunities, but the, the wide ranging variety of cell and gene therapies um, and in the life sciences market really has given a lot of opportunity to new research avenues. So we're seeing a lot of uh, owners involved in, in expanding that market. So, Brandon, we talk about the variety of uh, types of specialties that the clients you work with are involved in. Uh, how important is it to understand their work and their needs and their goals? Because there is such a wide variety out there. You're, you're absolutely correct, Joe. And our job really is is twofold. The first is obviously the engineering aspect of that. But the second is clear communication with our owners. Uh, and in this uh, format, owners can mean a lot of different things. There's obviously the facility staff that we would engage with on any type of project, but specifically in science and technology, we're working with a, a variety of other individuals that uh, are key components of the project. So the first is the end user, the, the actual researcher that's, that's doing work. Um, but then quite often we're working with industrial hygienists, uh, safety and chemical uh, experts that really are the ones identifying the risks and hazards associated uh, with, a, with a research environment. And those hazards can vary, ver can vary widely. And so we really need to understand not only what those risks are and uh, how you address them, um, but also the needs of all of those other uh, end users and players in the, the facility design. So being able to have those communications and understand the specifics we're not necessarily needing to understand the research they're doing, but we need to understand what they need out of the building systems to effectively design uh, spaces. So Brandon, IMEG I works with a, a wide variety of uh, builders, contractors, subcontractors, and architects um, across the country. So within science and tech, what do you hear from them are the main engineering drivers uh, in, in the market? So I hear several things. Um, the first really is specialty expertise. The science and technology market is very large and very uh, wide ranging. So the the specific needs you have in a, um, say, undergraduate chemistry laboratory is very different than maybe what a federal government research institution needs, or what maybe a, a pharmaceutical, a private pharmaceutical firm has. So having that specialty expertise, even within the realm of science and technology, is uh, absolutely critical. In terms of the engineering considerations, energy efficiency is usually at the, the forefront of everybody's thought process. Um, something like 50 to 60 percent of uh, laboratory energy use is, is connected to the HVAC systems. And uh, a good chunk of the remainder is really more the process uh, equipment that that. Uh, lab users have. So the the engineered systems really are a major driver of 
energy use of the facility. So besides energy efficiency, resiliency, redundancy, flexibility, those are the common themes we see across the industry. When you, when you talk about resiliency, are there certain areas where maybe that's a bigger issue and are people looking at things like microgrids by any chance? Is that even a possibility in, in science and technology? Yeah, I think it's definitely an evolving part of the science and technology realm. Uh, historically, resiliency has often been synonymous with redundancy, especially in the lab environment. Um, being a facility that operates and runs uh, every hour of every day makes maintenance on systems very difficult, mean, makes uh, system shutdowns very problematic. Um, so that has been where a lot of the focus has been historically, but certainly as uh, things like climate change have been been more important and, and more prevalent in society, we've gotten into more conversations in terms of uh, building system locations. Where does main equipment go? So if there's a flood or a tornado or comes through, uh, how, how are we situating and positioning those systems so they're uh, at least able to withstand the, those types of environments or, or uh, scenarios. Uh, you mentioned microgrids. Lab environments are, are definitely unique in that um, there's simultaneous heating and cooling loads going on frequently throughout the year. Um, there's a lot of different electrical use uh, prevalent without, within, and, uh, within the research environment and uh, obviously connected to the, the engineered system. So things like microgrids are definitely gaining steam and, and providing some additional flexibility and redundancy to our owners. Brandon, can you talk a little bit about how IMEG's uh, national expertise in science and tech engages with IMEG's teams across the country to be able to facilitate uh, a project or services for a local client? I would say for the vast majority of our teams, um, they specialize uh, in a market, uh, a vertical market in their geographic location. Those teams, we really believe, uh, are best suited to maintain and work with uh, our local owners. We think engineering is uh, appropriately uh, provided at the local level, um, understanding that those local teams can't always be experts in every type of project. So uh, if we had work in a, a region that uh, didn't specialize in science and technology, um, we would provide project management and, and lead mechanical engineering services, structural engineering services out of those locations. Uh, and then we would bring in the appropriate personnel to supplement that uh, from a subject matter expert standpoint. So we have uh, engineers that specialize in everything from clean rooms to biological safety labs to laser labs. Uh, and so we would bring in that appropriate personnel to really help staff that team, make sure that systems uh, and communication with the owner are uh, clear and concise up front, and then stay with the project through quality control and, and even into construction. Hey, Brandon, one of the things we talked about in the past uh, was the idea of retrofitting buildings for lab use. What, what's your take on that opportunity? It's probably one of the questions I get asked the most is, hey, we've got a, an office space. Um, and as everyone would imagine, off, there's a lot of office space out there right now that's going unused. And we have owners asking, could we turn that into laboratory space? Um, and the answer is always yes, but... Uh, the reason being the, the laboratory environment is a lot different than the office environment. So um, the first thing we always need to investigate is the properties of the building. 
vertical uh, space in the facility from ceiling heights and, and structural heights uh, is usually the first thing that needs to be evaluated. Um, office spaces uh, generally are much shorter floor-to-floor heights than laboratory spaces. Uh, and the second thing closely behind that is the capacity of the MEP systems. And I would say nine times out of 10, if not more, those require either full sale replacement or major, major renovations in order to accommodate the needs of a laboratory facility. And most of that is usually being driven just by exhaust um, with with the types of hazards and classifications laboratory facilities have that requires a lot of exhaust, which in turn requires a lot of makeup error, which in turn requires a lot of heating and cooling and electrical systems. So, so Brandon, if an owner is contemplating a new science and tech project, what are the first steps that they should take or information they could assemble that would help them engage with a design team uh, for a successful project? The most critical thing is understanding the programmatic needs of the facility. I frequently get involved in, in projects where we're engaging and inserting ourselves into the communication with owners and, and end users very early and asking questions that are super important to the engineered systems that maybe architects or owners um, that don't have an engineering background aren't always thinking about. And that's important because while the architecture and the construction and costs of a facility uh, are all paramount, those oftentimes are being driven by the engineered systems. And so getting that conversation early, making sure you have uh, uh, engineers and architects that are really experts in the types of facilities you're designing is just absolutely critical to a successful project. Can you talk about one of the most unique S&T projects that you've been involved with? The project that really, I think, solidified for me the drastically varying needs of an S&T facility was a project uh, I, I managed and, and was primarily involved in, uh, started about seven, eight years ago. Uh, and that was a, a new research facility uh, for Argonne National Laboratory. Um, I am headquartered and in, in live in Chicago. Argonne's a Department of Energy National Lab out in the suburbs. And they were building a new 120,000 square foot materials research lab uh, that really brought together eight separate end users and researchers, eight separate programs, uh, and co-located them all in this one building. Uh, and that expertise that those researchers had varied from radiological uh, research to cryogenics to computational uh, analysis. And so we had to uh, build a facility that not only addressed all the unique needs those researchers had, but also provided flexibility knowing that their research grants were sometimes three to five years and they didn't know what the future held uh, down the road. So we needed to build a facility that could obviously accommodate uh, day one use, uh, but knowing that maybe three or five years down the road, a new researcher may be coming into that building and we couldn't be redesigning the entire facility to accommodate one eighth of the building's needs. So how we approach that project was uh, enlightening to me, and uh, we must have done something right because uh, since that building has been in operation, it's it's won several awards. Um, there's a, a great story to tell, I think, on on kind of just how that project came together. Fantastic! I remember following you around the Argonne's 
complex a few years ago taking pictures and and uh it was fascinating to see the variety of work that uh, we'd done just at that in that one campus alone that has been a long-term relationship probably uh, going on 15 years now and uh, i will say that there's there's nothing like working at a department of energy national lab they uh, they bring a, a variety of uh needs uh certainly some expertise that you do not see anywhere else in the world there's a, there's a lot of cutting edge research going on. We've done everything from the, the lab I mentioned to supercomputers, to uh, radiological facilities, to uh, common office uh, and, and conference room renovations. So we've really uh, run the gamut of experience at that site. So as you look out there uh, to the future of the market, what excites you or what opportunities do you see out there uh, concerns may you have? I think the thing that excites me most is just the specialization that I'm seeing. For so long, science and technology was in itself a market, but we're really seeing owners looking for very unique expertise from their professional service consultants. Even if I've got somebody that's spent their entire career uh, working in the laboratory environment, uh, owners want to see, hey, have, how many agricultural projects have you done or how many pharmaceutical projects have you done? Uh, and it's even getting more uh, specific than that. So I think as as IMEG grows and, and we continue to broaden our expertise, I'm very excited about the specialization we're able to develop and deliver to our owners because the science and technology market has been expanding uh, very quickly. Uh, and, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Well, Brandon, uh, this has been really uh, a, a nice conversation with you here today. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out and uh, thank you for joining us. Appreciate the opportunity and uh, happy to be back at any time. Steve, thanks for joining me as well. I look forward to our next episode in this series. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Brandon. Listeners who want to follow other podcasts we've done can find us on our website. That's imegcorp.com. Just go to our Insights tab, and the drop-down menu will direct you to the podcasts. We can also be found on any app you might use. We'll be back with another episode in this series on market leaders at IMEG. Until then, thanks for listening, and take care. <music>